Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Vallis, aka Brittle Gash, and today we're doing something a little different. Thanks to this global pandemic and the subsequent lack of basketball or sports of any kind, we are doing the world's first deep dive into the 1996 comedy... Comedy? Comedy. Celtic yeah. Pride. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson and Joe are both here on Celtics Reddit. They are Rickman Lives and Nose Gross McFly. Guys, let's get into it. The town, Boston. The team, the Celtics. The event, the NBA Finals. And their biggest fans are Jimmy and Mike. You are in Beantown now, baby! Beantown! They're loyal. No! Excuse me. Uh, just uh, take a little break, Steve. Uh... Are you saying my toilet still isn't fixed? Oh, you gotta go! Dedicated. It's like you say, the most important thing is that they have fun. No. And faithful. This is for my grandmother. This is for the state of Massachusetts, for Celtics, for Boston. Ah, uh-uh, man. They have everything it takes yeah! to win the playoffs. No! Unfortunately, he's gonna shoot it every time! The Utah Jazz. I want him dead! Has Lewis Scott. If he gets hot, we are in trouble. I'm on fire. No. He's throwing it in our face. Their mission is clear. We went over there and, like, you know, got him messed up, like, you know, completely wrecked, so he was too hungover to play well on Sunday. And for Lewis Scott. Ah! Lewis Scott's in the bed. We kidnapped him. The real game ah! is about to begin. Don't make me hurt you now. Ow! Damon Wayans. May I use the bathroom? I'm not falling for that trick. Trick? What do you think, I wore a pamper here? Daniel Stern. You're still my hero. Thanks, Tommy. Not you, Dad. I met Lewis. And Dan Aykroyd. I've done something terribly wrong. And I might have to go to jail and become some bad man's boyfriend. That's nice, Peanut. Celtic Pride. Celtic Pride, two overloyal Celtic fans kidnap the opponent's star player in order to guarantee their team the championship. Starring 
Daniel Stern, Dan Aykroyd, Damon Wayans, Paul Guilfoyle as Kevin O'Grady the cop, and Shooter McGavin, also known <laughs> as Christopher McDonald as the jazz coach Kimball. Written by Judd Apatow, which Incredible. we'll come back to in a little bit. Incredible. Incredibly <laughs> there. And Colin Quinn, and directed by Tom DeSergio. Let's let's start broad here, guys. What are your general <laughs> thoughts on this movie? How did you feel walking away from this one? I, most comedies sort of hinge on people doing things that they shouldn't do or just, just pushing something a little bit too far. We have to suspend disbelief to allow them to get mm-hmm. into these situations. Um, I felt like it pushed, it pushed uh, my sense of disbelief further than what could be suspended. Even if it was in back in the 90s when the world was a little bit different? Man, even if it's... We'll get to it, we'll get to it. But that, that was just... <laughs> I felt it was a missed opportunity. A missed sure. opportunity. I honestly, honestly thought it was a little bit better than what I was afraid it would be. I, <laughs> I remember attempting to watch this movie once somewhere in the vicinity of like four or five years ago and falling asleep before we even got to like the club scene, which is like not even 40 minutes in. Right. Did not miss much upon second viewing, but um, <laughs> I, I was fearing the worst. Like we go into a shit film or a film that you're told is terrible. So you're, all right, I'll mentally prepare myself. And you always tend to come out a little bit more satisfied than you would. I honestly thought some of the one-liners were pretty funny in like a really silly watching inebriated sort of way. But it was just it was so lame. It was just really, really <laughs> lame. And punctuating the lameness was when the jokes sort of got a little bit darker and a little bit more adult-like at times. It's like they couldn't tell whether they wanted to make an adult film or a family slapstick film. So you've got scenes where like people are like running in and out of each other's chairs going, oh, Jesus, followed by like some prison rape jokes at the end. And just it's it, tonally, it's just doing that the whole time. So I'm sitting here just going, this is just... It potentially a good idea that just has no focus and you know a young Judd Apatow you know a, a couple of lines aside here and there just really didn't seem like he knew what he was doing um <laughs> and that's what I basically felt of it yeah that seems to be the the general consensus on this movie uh we are f- I hesitate to use the word fortunate in that we are uh, fans of a team that that has a movie, a Hollywood movie, sort of loosely based around its existence. Um, uh, not many other teams can can really um, can really claim that. I know we talked about it in our last podcast. There are a, a few exceptions to that rule, like the Sacramento Kings and New York Knicks, uh, New York Knicks. Uh, hypothetical finals in how to work oh, lose a guy yeah. in 10 days but this is this is <laughs> very much focused and, and very much uh, directed upon the the existence of the boston celtics um uh, i mean we we know this is a bad movie but f- for me this like this was the first time that i've watched this in, in ages and there was one aspect that did resonate with me <clears throat> and this is probably amplified by this current celtics climate um, but just the unconditional Celtics fandom among the majority of the characters, like particularly Mike and Jimmy, the the main characters. Uh, but there's even one point where Mike is walking down to the shops. I think it's like after they've kidnapped Lewis Scott, played by Damon Wayans, like the star jazz player. And he runs into some old lady who he clearly knows. 
and he remarks that her, her dog looks sad and this lady's like my dog is sad because the Celtics lost like the idea that there's this bubble out there because we don't live in it obviously we don't live in Boston but there's this bubble of like all these people like everyone you know is equally as affected negatively or positively by the outcome of the last Celtics game that to, to me I think is something that I was able to buy into as a um, as a concept but then on the other hand like how different would your life have had to have gone for you to end up like these guys, right? I, I feel like not that different. <laughs> like I'm maybe only a wife in a decent job away <laughs> or not having those things from being like Mike O'Hara. I'm pretty convinced that if I wasn't married and I had one dear friend who was just a little bit obsessed with the Celtics that I'd probably be as all in as those guys. And that kind of terrifies me a little bit that we're all walking this line together. Yeah. Did, did that yeah, resonate yeah, with you guys 100%. at all? And the, the like the the setup's not that bad, you know. Like the scene the, at the first game, you know. There's so many things that are recognisable, like the feeling like you're jinxing the team. I need to sit someplace different, you know. Yeah. Like <laughs> very visible, and and the collection of memorabilia. There's a comment that's made by Damon Wayans' character that actually kind of it kind of cut me a little. <laughs> um, about like other people's that? achievements on your walls yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, i really like memorabilia uh, what does it say about me i was like that's a really good point <laughs> yeah I, it's definitely accentuated by like being celtics fans like we probably can appreciate this film like some aspects of it more than like you know fans of others um teams would 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 dare to um you know even consider but like you know if if you took if you took the celtics out of this film and replaced it with the philadelphia 76ers <laughs> it would be Sixers probably sixes <laughs> <laughs> a modern day version where they try and kidnap ben simmons just because what why not um but i i, I would well, feel they try probably in fire yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. We, we should we should write we should write our we should write our own version of this movie later on. That, that is coming yeah. up. Um, Stay but, tuned. Yeah, I, I think if it was about the Philadelphia 76ers, I wouldn't feel any different about it really, because it really wasn't that much about the Celtics, rather than that was Celtics was just something that everyone had like in common. But you could like play, take that out for any like basketball team, and like as long as you show enough fanatical people supporting them, you'd be like, oh wow, this is a really well supported team. We obviously can put the pieces together. We know that Boston is, you know, a, a huge fan base and very passionate and whatnot. So there's that element to it as well, too. But I didn't really even feel like it was about the Celtics that much. Like, do you remember, like, early on in the movie, the big deal was they needed to win because they were about to knock down the old Boston Garden? Yeah. And then that yeah, never gets right. brought up ever again. It's just not a thing anymore. Like, it's an idea that just trailed off that could have had some resonance to it, to the Celtics, and it just didn't. So, I reckon that's yeah. part of the missed opportunity. I, I don't know. I'd have to look up the, you know look up the film's notes, but I'm pretty sure it appears that it was actually filmed in the garden, right? Before it was I, It looked like it, yeah, sure. And there's, there's some quite... Of the, of the garden, eh? Like, it, there's something that looked quite beautiful. And um, I was like, oh, a different a different movie. Like, you know, I could imagine the, the cinematography almost being like... You know, I actually really like that Kevin Costner movie for the love of... Um, maybe I just have more happy memories of it. It's like he's pitching, he's like... A, like he's like on his last legs as a pitcher and he pitches a no hitter. Um, yeah. You know, it's that, that sort of like, I almost feel like the scene that it was set in almost have had some of that, you know, you could have, mm. but 
So on, on the Boston Garden thing, there's two notes from the IMDb page. One says, the scenes that were shot in the Boston Garden were actually created by the film's production designer, Stephen Marsh, that was about 90% close to what the old Boston Garden looked like at the time, which to me sort of implied that it wasn't shot in the Boston Garden and it had been recreated. But then there's another note that says, some scenes were shot inside the Boston Garden just before it was scheduled for demolition in the summer of 95 and the new Boston Garden was scheduled to open in September. So based on how realistic it was and and deciding between those two notes that were on the IMDb page, I want to say that it was actually filmed inside the OG Boston Garden before they knocked it down. And if you for some reason are an idiot like me and watched all of the end credits at the end it cuts to a cgi demolition of the of the original oh, Boston wow Garden. did i miss yeah. it i'm putting that on right now i bet it's great cg too i was watching the. i yeah. wanted to get peak 96 i want to give the end credits because i often I, I like watching the the credits in the movies just to see some some you know way down the list some future star but I was kind of hoping to see if there were any actual basketball players to, as the extras. And uh, it looked like they just went for the actors. <laughs> yep, 100%. Yeah. Through they through didn't through. look like Zero. basketball players, did they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, on the, just quickly to touch back on the, the fan obsession side of things, I, I, I asked my wife, who obviously knows me quite well and has observed me for some time walking this line between healthy and unhealthy fandom what would be the tipping point in our relationship like what in her mind would be the difference between our life now and an unhealthy Mike O'Hara style relationship with um crushing Celtics obsession and she basically said she can envision a reality where if we lived in the city of Boston that would be the tipping point which uh was too little amount of extra criteria for me. Like if that's all that it takes, then I'm, wow. I'm pretty worried. Um, just just being that little bit extra immersed in Celtic culture and, and that on days where the Celtics lose, she said she feels like she needs to be extra careful around me, that I'm like really sensitive on those days, um, which I, I, I suppose is true. Um, and also the fact that the games are on during the day here in our part of the world. So in terms of, of affecting a relationship, it only really affects a relationship with your employer. Like it's not on a dinner time where you're taking you're taking time out of your family life, you know, like not it's spending more, time with the kids, helping them the with their time. homework. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like I don't, you know, I, I like where I work, but I, I can multitask at that, at that point of the day. But if you've got kids or a family, it's not really possible. So we're kind of yeah. lucky in that sense to not be that immersed. Here's, here's a thought experiment. Let's go back to um, June 20. No, it would have been only that. Game seven of the um, uh, 2018 East Conference Finals, us versus Cleveland. You're in, you're in Boston. You see LeBron James at a bar or something. You can spike his drink with something that's going to give him really hectic diarrhea for like 48 hours. He won't be able to play. He's going to be totally fine. He'll get on with his life afterwards, but you can take him out of the game and you might get away with it. Do you do it? I probably stand there thinking about doing it for way too long. Yeah. I can, I can guarantee <laughs> that. He walks away. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think, know if I go through all, it. love the question. I think every fan, <laughs> I think if you're going to watch this movie, you should ask yourself this question. For me, it's a hard no. It's a hard no. Hard no. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 Is that because it wouldn't be a real yeah. win if, if, it, if it happened? It's, yeah. And okay. it's because, like, I like the competition. You know, like, I actually want yeah. memorable series, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I kind of, like, I kind of hope that we get to play. I, I, maybe I'm 
sometimes, but but I actually kind of hope that we get to play awesome team, an awesome team in the second round. Like that would be a great mm. series to beat them. Is so much so much better than you know dusting the Charlotte Hornets or whoever winds up getting in the eight seed. Yeah. Um, if we took LeBron out of that game, we probably Jeff Green would have scored like forty, and George Hill would have scored twenty nine. Um, anyway, we probably lost. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think it's a no for me. I mean, it's because like the three of us don't have that 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 uh, ratio of like sanity to total psychopathy that I think these characters were meant to sort of represent, and they represented like Boston fans, so they did make make you out make Celtics fans out to look like assholes. In fact, most of them did. They were always like getting in a Lewis Scott's face and. And all that kind of shit, but um, yeah, no, no, no. I don't think I could do it. Either. I, I, it's a fun thought experiment. I think though that comment that you've made kind of shows how, at least in the mid nineties, um, like what kind of role the Celtics fan occupied in this sort of everyone's collective. You know, mm, yeah, it, it's, totally. it's probably holds up a mirror to how Celtics fans are perceived. <laughs> by it seemed to tick all those stereotypical boxes yeah yeah total mass holes across the board totally totally <laughs> yeah so yes i completely agree and and while this is an objectively shit movie it is it is almost like a dark comedy and a terrifying peek into a not too distant parallel universe that i think we could all relate to a little bit um that's probably the only part of the movie i found enjoyable um i was gonna do the plot synopsis but i'm hoping that if you're listening to this podcast you have seen the movie or at least know what it's about it's pretty i guess just to touch on it very quickly a couple of celtics fans are worried the celts are going to lose the finals against the utah jazz in 1996 a very hypothetical uh finals matchup at that time uh obviously the celtics would have had to have beat the 72 and 10 michael jordan chicago bulls to make these finals <laughs> we'll get brown would have had it covered. don't worry about it <laughs> yeah d brown and dino raja would have absolutely smashed them <laughs> uh and they, they kidnapped the the utah jazz star player played by damon wayans known as lewis scott to take him out of the the equation essentially and um the plot unravels from there that's that's the the basic synopsis there of the plot uh notable lines and favorite scenes were there lines scenes within this film that that resonated with you or, or stuck with you after this one they're so, they're so profound right so there, there must be something well I've, i'll probably refer to the main one that line about the memorabilia and also the comment his wife makes which you've kind of referred to at the start of the movie actually you know she can't can't handle like his mood being affected by by whether the Celtics yeah. want to lose and i was like affected yeah <laughs> the, nothing profound i guess but the one that made me laugh the most it's when they're just after game six and they get the call from his friends who work in the bar and they tell him that lewis scott's at the bar and he goes you're pulling my chain yeah. can you believe him he just left us a hundred dollar tip and he's dancing what an asshole Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laughed. I thought that was funny. It was like that was like a Judd Apatow sort of line. I could see that there. But yeah. um, there were a couple like moments like that. But for the most part, it was just like I said, lame. Just it was like Bleh. I don't know. I enjoyed before the tip off of Game Six. Scott, I hear Manute Bowl is banging your mom. Manute Bowl, your mom. You guys. <laughs> the implication there, obviously. I mean, we don't have to go into the implication of what a. Uh, a minute bowl situation looks like there. I'm just going to leave it there, but it's it's a particularly <laughs> uh, stinging and burning comment. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, they had great seats. opening scene. They had great. 
Yeah, season mm. ticket holders as well, presumably, yeah. right? Just based on their rapport with the people Everyone around. Everyone else was a season ticket holder, obviously. And yeah. <laughs> and like in, in the scene, you remember that. Oh, look, I don't know if I'm getting things out of step with how you want to go here, Ben. But like their poor mate, mate who pays three hundred dollars for the tickets. Which seems like a really cheap ticket for down there, but still. Yeah, Chris, Chris McCarthy. <laughs> Poor old Chris McCarthy, who was present at the Bill Buckner thing. Opening scene, little kid. Are you all right, Mr. O'Hare? You look worried. Well, Josh, I am a little worried. My Celtics are playing a very important basketball game tonight. And I really want them to win. I feel like I've had the co- that conversation with people in my everyday life at least once a week for the last like 10 years where there might be an important game and, and we all um, add significance to even regular season games that happen throughout the course of a season in our own way, whether it be you know the comeback of Gordon Hayward after an injury or we're playing a team that we've lost three straight games against like the Nuggets um, earlier this year. We add importance to it and then someone will find you at that moment where you're stressing about it, maybe pre-tip off or at halftime and you have to sort of explain to them like, well, I'm in the middle of like a pretty stressful Celtics game at the moment and that's why I'm, I'm kind of on edge. Have you guys had that before? More, more in the context of maybe I'm watching it at work or I'm reading like the updates or something and then something major happens and I have a little outburst and I have to sort of let everyone know <laughs> yeah. it's a game sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, there are situations like, hey, how you going today? And, you know, no one expects you to say anything other than, oh, good, thanks. But you say, oh, geez, a big game today. And then you start like, yeah, just, you know, getting in your own mind. So, yeah, definitely relatable in that respect. Mm-hmm. Well, not so much, but I had uh, in high school, I did. I was my economics teacher who was a big sports fan and so thus understood. He sort of saw me like I was spaced out in economics and he's like, what, what are you worried about? This is 2002. And I was like, oh, just worried about how we're going to get past the sixes in the first round. That was like, <laughs> that's, that's my only story I can probably relate to that end. Well, you've obviously got I'm, better I'm control a, of your emotions. High functioning, and I. <laughs> high functioning, high functioning. <laughs> yeah good for you uh only other quote that comes to mind is him screaming as his wife who's just announced that she's divorcing him is walking away and he's smoking a cigarette in the primary school gym that he works in (laughs) screams out i am not ashamed of it i love the celtics (laughs) so over the top which yeah cringeworthy but relatable um, which I think is the way that you could describe me. So uh, anyway, memorable scenes. They're in the club. It's after game six. Mike and Jimmy have spotted Lewis Scott and they come up with the idea to to rough him up or like get him wasted in, in some way. They just want to get him wasted. And- that's all they want to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no- noble cause. And for some reason, Lewis Scott decides to ditch his beautiful female entourage and hang out with these two middle-aged douchebags. And then Larry Bird comes up to them in the club uh, and he's like, still having some dinner with my friends. And I, I had to yeah. stop at that moment and think there's no way that Larry Bird is in that nightclub at that time. There's absolutely no way. Like he's in a home suit. in Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> Fixing a driveway or something. He's not in that club at any moment in his life. Good actor. <laughs> no. Although he was in Space Jam in the very same year. As was Bill Murray, another Ghostbuster, 
with uh, Dan Aykroyd there. Right. Also 1996. Just flipped um, me out that Space Jam came out the same year. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, one was better than the other. Yeah, yeah, one was more successful than the other. Holy shit. Yeah, I didn't even one think... Had Michael I Jordan. Didn't even think of that until just now. That's mad. <laughs> yeah. One's honestly a bit more believable than the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Any any scenes there that, that stuck with you guys? Like ones that are bad and weird, sure. Um, there was you talked about the club scene earlier. There's a point where when they approach him, there Dan Aykroyd approaches him first, and he like kind of like stares him down. He like looks into his eyes real crazy, and this is really oh, yeah. fucking bizarre shot of Dan Aykroyd's eyeballs that then just goes away. And as I just what the hell was that? And later on, when they've got Lewis Scott tied up in the apartment. And he starts trying to talk to Dan Aykroyd's character about how um, uh, Daniel Stern is always, you know, the man in the relationship. And then he's like, he come back with some pumps and whatever. And then there's like this three second scene where they've got Dan Aykroyd in like a boob tube and a skirt and like oh, high yeah. heels on. And he puts like something down, <laughs> he's ass slapped. And they, they obviously like got them to do that scene for this one throwaway line. And it's so weird. <laughs> Like, it didn't pay off. No. It was not worth and it. It's like, and that's the thing. Like, we only ever see like these examples of just weirdness like once throughout the film. Like if it was sign of like a bit of a thread to it. Like something I didn't, I'm a bit scattergun here, but I didn't mind the first ad that you see with Lewis Scott. And it's kind of like, it's an obvious send up. And he's like, you know, I don't want to raise your kids. I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm not a role model, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. And then they brought that back later when he's dreaming, like being a plumber. Like I thought, okay, like there's like, they could play on threads like that, but instead they just went just, just like bizarre, that eyeball stuff. And it was, yeah. So I remember that not for the right reasons, but well, yeah. yeah. I, I, I similarly remembered those two. I always, this movie a long time ago. And I remembered the, I'm a plumber 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 line you know like, <laughs> um, but the main thing okay this is a little detail that i found myself noticing and when they show the damon wayans character damon lewis scott um is if you look at his uniform it doesn't have the nba logo on it and i was like that's weird why didn't they have the you know the nba logo on the chest which was like the, you know obviously at the time and then in the games and the have the nba logo on it and then there's another ad with a hot dog where um, where the, the two main the two kidnappers uh, bet with uh, Damon Wayans that they can flick through the channels and they'll find an ad with them on it. And he doesn't have yeah. it on in that scene. I was like, odd, so odd. Why? I wonder what that was. It must be a licensing thing because it was a Nike ad. I don't know. Or an, or an yeah, incompetent or an incompetent costume department. I think just to be honest, that's my bet. Yeah, just another underperforming aspect. It was Shooter McGavin's golf Utah Jazz golf sweater, or cr- it was like a cricket jumper. You know? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did any? Did anyone else think he actually kind of looks a little bit like Quinn Snyder? Definitely, definitely. Like in real life, yeah. that fact, I actually stuck with me the first time I saw it. I was like, well, hang on, like, yeah, it's like like seeing the future. Life imitates art. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> if there's one spin-off movie I want to see. Uh, it's the Shooter McGavin coach prequel movie where we see his rise to professional <laughs> NBA coaching. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I... Mm. Can they picked the Utah Jazz because the um, the uniforms look the closest to the Lakers? Because I was like, it's, why the Jazz? You know, how do they decide, like, in, how do they lose a guy in 10 days? Okay, Nick, sure. But the Kings? <laughs> 
<laughs> not was, I think, do, they, do, do they go around it, every team and say which likeness <laughs> yeah. is going to cost us the least amount of money and then Maybe, use that one? like why is why is common playing for the new jersey nets in that movie with the jazz would the Jazz were decent around then too, so maybe yeah. they're just trying to go for like a viable like opponent, even though the Celtics were like dog shit then. But um, yeah, it could be the reason why. But yeah, maybe they just went around like, who wants to be a part of this? And everyone's like, nah, I'll pass. Thank you. <laughs> the Jazz were like, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. One of the annoying things about the whole movie is it's a it's called Celtic Pride, but it's actually more about the Jazz than you know <laughs> yeah. than the Celtics. And yeah, did anyone find, like it's a movie obviously made for Celtics fans predominantly, and like they don't even get to win at the end. It's like oh, I know, it doesn't really bother me that much, but it is as like, like these guys are meant to be assholes, and like oh we feel good for them, they're, they're they're free now, and this dickhead who's like you know just beat the Celtics, they're all mates now, and it's all good. I was like I was just really unsatisfying. I would have liked it so much more if if the Celtics won and they had to go to prison. I, I just would have been a, that yeah. would have been a, more of a punchline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> another another thing that was noticeable was just that like the biggest star in the world was at a nightclub where he could be approached by the common people, and I know <laughs> I know that was even in 1996, but just how far removed that would seem as a possibility. Like it made it seem so much more unbelievable. Like because back then might, it might seem stupid that. He would want to abandon his female entourage to hang out with these guys, but now it's absurd. They could even approach him. You know, it's absurd yeah. that they could get close to him. He was like, yeah, they been- should be in a roped off area, right? Yeah. You know, with a, uh, at least a bouncer and, you know. Yeah, he's meant to be like the Michael Jordan equivalent. He doesn't even have his own. Yeah, he doesn't have like an entourage. He, doesn't he wears like a security guard. Yeah. He wears, he wears the patent leather Air Jordans. And you notice that? Yeah, he wears the Jordan 11s, the the Space Jam MJs, at least in game seven. Yeah. I didn't notice what he was wearing in game six, but uh, they, they stood out. Yeah. Can we, can we get in some plot holes now? Yeah, let's do it. So, well, this is actually the end of the movie, but I want to mention it first. So, Lewis Scott isn't able to get to the game. So Lurch, the apparently Croatian, <laughs> who's mm-hmm. unspecified as a... Lewis Scott's a guard, right? So the Croatian yes. goes in for him. Lewis Scott arrives and he's pulled out, right? Then the center, the, the center with the face mask, gets hurt by an, by a, by an unanticipated Lewis Scott. <laughs> and who goes, in for, who goes in for the center? But our Croatian friend. So just positionally inaccurate there. There's no way he was covering both the two guard and center slots in 1995. We were in a pre-small ball era. <laughs> You're right, that is a, that's Maybe appalling it's a, a dynamic writing. small forward. Absolutely appalling writing. <laughs> do, you, do you guys, can you tell me what the Croatian seven-footer's name was? It's like Border Man or something like that. It's like... Yeah, it, no Ilya Lertz Bronfomaka. Which is which you, not. A, it's like they they just, put all names from all regions of Europe just into like a name yeah. algorithm, and that's what they spat out. But, <laughs> you can't tie them down to a particular region with that name. But some, some, but like Croatia, like or Baltic, sort of real, like they always in an I, you know, the itches. Itch. That's how we yeah. tell them. Like, yeah, Kukoc kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, like that—that's a real. That's a layout that was absolutely flubbed. But maybe they just wanted the most ridiculous name, I guess. Yeah, um, um, it's it's like a trope that you've seen that, that now looks so dated. But whenever there's like a white guy aping hip hop culture, or an old person aping hip hop culture, or a rich white guy aping, 
meta. It's just some sort of some or even like an Asian aping hip hop culture. You know, that was like a massive laugh back in 1995, and now it's yeah. because I think partly because hip hop's so like the popular culture that we don't like. It's not a joke. It's not a joke that a white person you might casually use a hip hop a reference. You know, you might even use it quite unironically and it's not and it's taken unironically it just it just doesn't it's just not it's so not funny when you watch it again you know and there's quite a lot of movies i find where that sort of you know because it's a it's a it's a bit of a juxtaposition back then it's like really surprising but now it's not really surprising hip-hop you know yeah no it's like like hip-hop's been around 35 years now you know like (laughs) when i was born Elvis came out 30 years ago. So when I was five years old, rock and roll was 35 years old. Like that's how long, <laughs> right? Like, it, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think yeah. it's part of why it doesn't work. I, real quick while we're on sort of music, I didn't think the soundtrack was awful. Oh, no, like, soundtrack was great. <laughs> some decent song, yeah. And it did, it did remind me of going to, um, it did remind me when I used to go to Newcastle Falcons games in the NBL back in like the 94, 95, 96. It was all the same, all the same tracks. So that, that made me smile a little bit. Get down with OPP. Yeah. That was in there. <laughs> a couple of other plot holes while we're on it. O'Hara's soon-to-be ex-wife visits and drops off his belongings shortly after they've, they've woken up and they've, they've done that montage where they've dressed Scott up in Celtics gear and taken all those photos of him. Uh, and then his soon-to-be ex-wife comes around and, and catches him red-handed with the captive Scott, you know, um, uh, Flaherty... <laughs> yeah. Dan Aykroyd's character is standing there with a gun to his head in the kitchen. She walks right in there. How does she not immediately leave and call the police at that point? Like she's, she has already discarded her loyalty to him uh, by announcing her, you know, her will to divorce him. And somehow she, she catches them in this situation and walks away and, and, and doesn't dob them in. To me, that is a, a, a giant plot hole. And then 20 minutes later, she's cheering for him because um, Lewis Scott, because she doesn't want him to go to prison anymore, even though she just yeah, tried to divorce exactly. him. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, it's just, it, it, they had literally just stopped caring like midway through writing this film. Because, yeah, like I, don't, like I couldn't, like probably like plot hole wise, like maybe like the basketball action, how it unfolds like towards the end like you think like that would you'd never make that play you would never do that like that's the only thing that could really you know sort of get my head around but like even the fact that they he escapes they catch him and then i must have stopped paying attention for a minute and a half here but then they decided to start playing like, <laughs> one on one in a park and then yeah. he wins <laughs> so they let him just go away okay i don't know like what's, well, what's going yeah, on he so gets the he, gun off him they don't yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay, he, he right. tires so them both that. out. He essentially disables them and takes the gun and the keys and then buggers off, which right, yeah. does lead to the next uh, glaring plot hole, which is what happens for Lewis Scott? What happens in his day between escaping from the pickup game and arriving at game seven later that like night? Right like, right at tip-off as well. <laughs> well, yeah, what happens yeah. in his day? Like, presumably he goes back to the hotel where the team are staying. None of them see him come in. This is early he morning. communicate with any of them. This is early morning, yeah, right? Yeah. Which was mm, another right. thing that got me, that was, which I was weirded out about. I thought, so they, they, have, they get him drunk. I thought it was supposed to be playing in the next night. But they go yeah, through a... I thought it was a back-to-back. Yeah, but they yeah. go through a full <laughs> night and a morning, and then it's the next night that they, that they, wind, up, that they wind up playing the game. Um, that was unclear. 
I felt like it was implied that there was supposed to be a back-to-back. Yeah, that yeah, it, it was not made clear, and it was certainly not made clear how Lewis Scott managed to get from that pickup game to the tip-off of Game Seven without having any community. I know it's pre-smartphone and everything, uh, and pre like, everyone having a cell phone. Although you know, a big contract NBA player in 1996 definitely has a cell phone, definitely has his coach's number. Somehow flees the game, gets back to the hotel. I guess has a huge nap and wakes up and, and goes to Game Seven decidedly late obviously you meant to arrive well before tip-off um to me i you know i know it was supposed to suspend our disbelief but uh that just made no sense to me that there should have been some more clarity as to how he was able to navigate through his day without anyone knowing where the fuck he was all day <laughs> well he'd also taken you know um jimmy's truck <laughs> yeah yeah where's, where's the truck the now truck? Where <laughs> <did> the truck <laughs> go? Yeah. and he like only loans to start passing Second half of game seven of the finals. <laughs> yeah. He's a good passer all of a sudden. Oh, look at you. Like, he might... Uh, yeah, no, no. I don't know why I'm even sweating over details like that, but yeah. Plot hole wise, there's no way they don't get beat up at the end after celebrating a game seven <laughs> loss at the buzzer in the 90s in the OG Boston Garden in jazz uniforms. I know they're among their season ticket holder friends, but there's no way they don't get the shit beat out of them in that moment <laughs> in their lives. I'm sorry. It's a game seven loss at the buzzer to the jazz in the 90s. Come on. Okay. That's all I've got. This is this is what I want to dwell. This probably brings me to a big point I want to get. So... At this point, right, it's reference. There's a point in the movie where they reference uh, that the Celtics have lost two games in a row prior to this. So that means that the Celtics were up 3 1 in a best of seven. They've just lost game five before the movie starts. They lose game six. So game five is presumably the old 2 3 2. So they, lose, they lost game five at Utah. Potentially they won it. They're up 3 1 coming back to Boston, right? So up 3 1. Oh, no, 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 no. They lost two in a row, so yeah. So they must have been up 3-1, lost game five at Utah. They've come back, they've lost game six. In game six, they're up by double digits at halftime. They lose right In game seven, they're again up by, you know, 14 or 15 at halftime, and they lose again, and they lose because they Kimber walker the inbound pass <laughs> yeah. and, didn't take, and couldn't get fouled. Not only have they blown two back-to-back double-digit leads, they've blown a 3-1 series lead, and they've blown the clinching game because they couldn't run an inbounds play. Can you imagine how apoplectic we would be as Celtics fans at that point? Yeah. We would be beside ourselves with rage. We we might have... Sorry, Jackson. You no, I was going to say, it'd just be the biggest choke of all time. Like, it's like, yeah. I, 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 I would probably choke myself out if that actually happened in real life. Yeah, it's be awful. <laughs> yeah. We, we may have ended up disbanding that all-white, that suspiciously all-white Celtics <laughs> team that they had out on the court and, so, and number you know, 11, making a more diverse team. No, no, number 11 future. was black. I thought it was Dana Barros for, for a second. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> what has not aged well in this movie? It's, you know... Over 20 years old now, um, I think we can agree that there are portions of the movie that uh, have not held up. What what aspects of the movie didn't hold up for you guys? Everything. <laughs> I sort of... <laughs> if you had to count on one hand, <laughs> um, like I me mean, for like I like I'm, I'm I'm big into movies, so like honestly for me it was the the, the music 
like when they're running away in the streets, it's like, yeah, I have not heard music. any of that shit since like, yeah, like, like 1995 or thereabouts. So I was just like, that's aged. And um, yeah, yeah, that's really all I could, that comes to mind. I've got a slightly more complicated answer, I think, for this. So, so this movie is basically The Hangover, but with basketball, right? <laughs> and and I sort of feel like The Hangover, I mean, for all, all of the probable flaws in it, The Hangover has three, you know, two sequels. So, movie. And the reason why I feel like The Hangover works and this one doesn't is because in The Hangover, they're kind of, these situations are kind of, foisted upon them they're not they don't have so much control over their mistakes you know they wake up and they've somehow accidentally you know they've somehow they, they realize they've kidnapped them drunkenly but instead of just letting them go <laughs> they they just continue to make things worse it's sort of you know i feel like they could have the movie could have been made better by just having them like less of an active participant like having them being less active participants as in their demise. But the idea kind of like that, the, the, the idea behind the movie, like you have the hangover and you've done something to the opposition's team, like that kind of holds up. Do you know what I mean? Like that is, that's yeah. like that blackout drunk day after that kind of, that kind of movie has been really successful since. Yeah, like we got really drunk and like sliced his Achilles or something. And then <laughs> yeah, bailed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got we think we got away with it. <laughs> like, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, what has not aged well? Yeah, I mean, you're both correct, and especially Jackson. Like, really, the whole thing does not hold up. But the the concept is what holds up. I, I think. Yeah, and I think everyone's had that. I sorry, sorry to cut off, Matt. I was going to say, yeah, I think I think if anything is does hold up, it's it's what we were touching on earlier. It was like you know the. That, yeah. the, the fandom of, of the teams you For know sure. the, you, the fact that you would almost do ridiculous over the top things to help your team win so i guess we're going to get to the sooner or later i don't want to like hurry things along but like do you think we could envision this film being like remade or like updated for like 2020 in some capacity yes <laughs> i think so too right <laughs> I, I almost feel um, bad that they've had like the, the blackout drunk plot lines kind of been taken from them and already used but they could just recycle it i guess yeah 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 and now like it's it's if we think about like Judd Apatow and like he's got connections to guys like you know Seth Rogen Jonah Hill and whatnot like I think we were like yeah. I don't think it'd be the worst idea if we just got a movie where two Knicks fans instead of trying to kidnap the other player like they maybe they try and kidnap James Dolan because they've just had enough of his shit and <laughs> maybe they hold him hostage <laughs> to like to make him um uh like actually resign or sell the team or something like that I think there might actually be some sort of like absurdist level of like um you could take the similar premise and the similar themes that are about it and translate to something like that but just if there was a little bit more focus on you know the writing and you know it was actually like made by you know competent filmmakers i think there might actually yeah. be something to it you know think of all the, e- the execution think of all the x and x that would put their hands up to star guest star in that movie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like chris Epps is for sure gonna hit that yeah spike lee is, is involved somehow yeah, all right it has to be so yes spike, spike can direct and start yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so what sort of like what sort of scenario to prevent like when would you what, what times is a really good time to get the owner would it be like draft time or 
like trade deadline or like opening a free agency? I like the idea of draft night. Like you can make it some sort of heist film where like that's the distraction or whatever. Yeah. Maybe they've got to like get him before because he's gonna take he's gonna take another shit play. Like there's a there's a certified star that they're gonna take <laughs> and he just doesn't want him because I don't know, maybe he's like He's, he's, he's like he's very left wing, or, or sorry, doesn't disagree with his politics or something. So they're like, no, we can't have this. We gotta we gotta kidnap him and force him to pick the right guy or the other guy. And, and trades are open as well at that time. So it's not just a deadline thing where only trades are on the table. This time you can make draft picks, you can trade them, you can trade other players. Like everything's on the table. You've got total control. I hold him hostage and they make him try and get their own team. Like they try and play fantasy basketball, <laughs> like yeah. with what assets I don't know, but they're gonna try and do it. They're gonna try and shoot him. Trey Mitchell Robinson for like for Giannis. an early pick yeah. and <laughs> draft James Wiseman, and yeah, it all goes from there. Yeah, of because you know all fans think they could do ownership better than the owners, except Celtics fans, because I think our owners are great. But I kind of like the idea of the fans getting their way, and then their fellow fans decisions made by the by the Knicks that they actually made happen you know like yeah. <laughs> yeah. so James Dolan is like governing the Knicks war room by text and they've got his phone you know and they think they've done the right thing and it's the opposite to what Dolan would have done fans hate it anyway they just boo they boo no matter what you know yeah. and, then, and then they turn out to side with Dolan <laughs> well they're just conditioned to believe that every Dolan decision is a bad decision so it's 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 not never going to work out well for the potential kidnappers of, of James Dolan. If you kidnapped Celtics ownership, or if you kidnapped Brad Stevens, what like what? Uh, knowing that you're making a decision to a fan base that will love whatever you do, what what decision are you guys making on behalf of Brad Stevens? Like for me, it's changing the frequency and timing of his timeouts. I don't know how I can <laughs> I don't know how I can make that echo into future when I release him back into into the wild, so to speak. But that's that's the impact I'm trying to have on Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens. I don't know, but I'm gonna go ahead and assume I know what Joe's would be. What he would it be? Gun to whoever's head is making the decision to be like, get rid of those fucking Lord of the Rings St. Patrick's Day oh, yes. uniforms. Yes, you keep, keep putting <laughs> on national TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my actual answer was gonna be um, play. It's a way better answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's good as well. Yeah. It's got a big gun. An obscure turn of events. The Celtics equipment manager has been kidnapped <laughs> after a game <laughs> by a crazed oh, New Zealander. Uh, uh, I, in terms of making this movie today, if so, who's in it and, and what city is it based around? I think the, the New York aspect is good just because of the amount of celebrity and star fans that they have and are sort of based around the franchise. Yeah. To me, no question, James Harden is the modern day Lewis Scott, just the shoot first sort of, you know, strip club, single childless sort of classic, you know, um, NBA star. To me, he, he's the modern day Lewis Scott. So he's in the movie. So it's the Houston Rockets versus the New York Knicks in the finals. Purely Knicks based on the amount of celebrity fans. If you Google someone like celebrity Bucks fans thinking, okay, if it's going to be based today, maybe the Bucks are going to be in the finals. There's not a long list to deal with there. There's, if you Google celebrity Bucks fans, you have to scroll far to look at names. Like, and even then, it's like visiting people who have visited Milwaukee and went to a game. Like they're like, not situated like, in Milwaukee. It'd be like Aaron Rodgers. And that's it. Yeah, that, yeah. that's the one. <laughs> he plays yeah. in the and, same yeah. city. Or same He's contracted state, to play there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so for me, it's, it's Ben Stiller and Ray Romano, two uh, sort of older, <laughs> oh, dorkier wow. New York fans, similar age bracket to um, 
to Dan Aykroyd and uh, the other guy. What's his name? Uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, to me, they, they fit that age bracket where they can be that sort of dorky dad stuck in their fandom and, and, and kidnap James Harden and essentially repeat the same plot line. So that, that's how it's being repeated for me. It, yeah. It sort of almost has to be, if we're going to, with the kidnapping-ish title, it sort of feels like East Coast fan crazier than like cold weather places yeah, totally. a little cool cold totally, yeah because like the lakers organization has like imagine like late kobe era kind of lakers organization where it's just a complete like it's a complete circus i mean there'd have to be some you need the crazy fan sort of element to make this particular movie work i think I, I think he's not doesn't do a lot of films anymore, but he was a former actor and he is like around in the public spotlight. But Michael Rappaport yes. is just the, oh, the, yeah. the ultimate, just pissed <laughs> off, yeah. like, like oh, oh, I'm so great. over a Knicks fan. Yes. And I think he would do it too. I think if we came up with a decent offer of some money, he'd probably be like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that. So yeah, that would be my choice. Start a GoFundMe page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about the quality of the b-ball the basketball in this movie. Uh, first of all, are you, are you guys up on Damon Wayans as an NBA player? Was he a convincing enough actor as an NBA player during the basketball sequences of this film? I mean, I'm sure Damon run with me, you know, like he looked like, he looked like he could play basketball, not at like an NBA level. I didn't see a lot of left-hand finishes. <laughs> No, I, I didn't see no crafty like spin and spinning off the back of the, the the you know the backboard or any kind of, of deals like that. So one reverse, one reverse that they there was memory. one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Must, must have fallen asleep by that. No, that's right. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, just a lot. Of, I remember a lot of jump shots, a lot of like sort of clumsiness. Yeah, it wasn't convincing enough for me, but I mean wasn't really expecting it to be honest damon waynes was okay enough but he was like you know not to get racial he was like you're the only like sort of athletic looking person amongst all these extras basically so he, he looked the most out. athletic yeah. like straight up you know uh game winning layup to end game six as well absolutely zero defense <laughs> yeah. I that stood out to me it's not the boston celtics way to allow a game winning layup um and we talked about the hypothetical of the Celtics and the Jazz making the finals in 1996. I, I do want to touch on this very quickly. So in 96, the Celtics finished 11th in the East uh, and the Jazz finished third. So for this hypothetical, sorry, third in the West, I should have said, for this hypothetical finals matchup to even happen, first of all, let's just say the Celtics fin- finished eighth and made the playoffs. The Jazz in reality, actually made it to the conference finals in 96, losing in seven games to the Kemp and Peyton Seattle Supersonics, the Celtics would have had to upset the 72-10 and 10 Jordan-led Bulls in the first round, then the Ewing-Starks-Knicks in the second round, followed by the Shaq and Penny Magic in the conference finals. It would have been by far the biggest eight-seed upset of all time, <laughs> like historic. Um, that, that In this movie, for that to have happened, that that's what happened. Yeah. Can you name me three players on either the Celtics or Jazz 1996 roster? For sure. For sure. Easy. (laughs) Easy. Well, Jazz is actually easier because they were good things. So you've got Stockton Malone and and, and Hornacek. Yeah. You've got, uh, I want to say, Adam O'Keefe would have been on the team. Greg Greg Uh Ostertag was drafted in 95. Yes. (laughs) Um, uh, Brian Russell would have been on the team at that point. Uh-huh. Uh, it's before Howard Isley's time. Uh, Antoine Carr. Antoine Carr was on yes. that team. Um, 
freaking nailing it right here. Yeah. <laughs> Three. I'm, I'm just like, having a <laughs> cross-reference basketball <laughs> reference as you say this. Like, oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, <laughs> let me think about it. Anyway, Celtics, we've got Dino Raja. Um, David yeah, Wesley, I'm pretty sure, was on the 95-96 team and he went to Charlotte. Yeah. Um, yep. Jackson, you said D Brown, right? Yeah. D- Rick Fox. Yep. Uh, Rick, Rick Fox, Fox yep. was last year. Played 96 97 as well. Um, Eric Montross would have been on that team. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yep. Dana Barros. Dana Barros, the aforementioned. <laughs> um, just got to go back through my basketball card library. Um, Sherman Douglas, I'm pretty sure, was still. Uh, he might have been off it. Sherman Douglas, can you uh, yeah, I think a 37-year-old Sherman Douglas was on the team. Um, Amazing. <laughs> Dominique, he played 94-95. No, 90, 90, he was not on yeah, the team. So he must have played 94-95. Yeah. It was post-Dominique era. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Dino Raja, though, like for that season, he was the Celtics MVP. Yeah, 19.7 points a game, 9.8 rebounds. Uh an unregistered three-point percentage because he attempted zero threes in the entire NBA season. This is the era that we are working with. Eric here. Williams. And, uh, Eric Williams would have been on that team. He was drafted in '95. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 Um, Unbelievable. Smashing. I mean, <laughs> I, I set the bar at three, thinking like, yeah, oh, yeah, this is a kind of an unknown era for the Celtics, and you just like throwing out all these these names that you know. To be honest, I, I have never heard of prior to <laughs> researching this podcast. <laughs> so well done. Uh, so just just the. Um, the enormity of the things that would have had to have gone down in reality for a Celtics Jazz finals to occur in, in 1996 is just ridiculous. And yet they ended up with those two teams. Uh, I get the Celtics, given the, the fanaticism based around the franchise, like since back in the 50s. Jazz, we talked about, not so much, doesn't make a lot of sense. Guessing cheaper rights to show the likeness of the Utah Jazz in this movie. Um, but an interesting hypothetical to break down and explore, I think. Any other thoughts on the the basketball played in in this movie? Because obviously there was quite a bit of it. I would have loved to have seen a serious movie with serious basketball set in the Boston Garden. I'd love to have seen that. Yeah, I really did enjoy the scenes shot in there, and I I I know we sort of there were two notes that I read out earlier that sort of suggested it was or maybe wasn't shot in the real garden. I want to say that it was, and and just like seeing them walk in. You know when they like stop and do that sort of ceremonial, I don't know, like the they the cross their bow, chest and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Like I would totally do that if I was a regular visitor. And there's just like something um, like cathedral, I guess, about about visiting that arena. And they they do have a few sort of wide panning shots of the arena and, and show the parquet and the banners and yeah. just I don't know. It's just it's I, such it seems like such an amazing arena to have I think, um, watched a game in. I think all those wide shots and the crowd shots that was the garden. And whenever you saw them like sitting down and you that was dialogue, that was a soundstage. So I'm assuming that was like yeah. the, the inside the garden was just like when it was full and everything else was yeah built. That makes I mm. think yeah. We're pretty much ready to wrap up. I don't think there's more than an hour's worth of things we can discuss about Celtic pride. <laughs> a couple of miscellaneous notes that we can touch on very quickly. Uh, we mentioned Larry Bird's cameo. Bob Cousy is oh, in this wow. movie for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> thing, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very well spoken. Seemed very comfortable in front of the camera. Very confident guy. Very happy to see him. Marv Albert. Uh, Marv Albert. A, young Marv Albert. What, was it young or is it with a... A really like 
It was <laughs> yeah. the the, 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 the massive tone case. of the hair yeah. was very intense. Yeah. yeah, that did stand out. Yeah, prime Marv Albert, you could say, like prime NBA on NBC Marv Albert before the the unfortunate incident that occurred in his life, the very public incident. Uh, Marv Albert and a I want to say a young Bill Walton, relative yeah. to today, obviously with mm-hmm. uh, like a werewolf hair problem, like too much hair, like it's crawling down his forehead, attacking his face a little bit there. Yeah, it's good to see, like, nice crack commentary team there. We mentioned Space Jam, also released in 96, uh, widely more successful with a fellow Ghostbuster, Bill Murray. One of the two films that writer-director Judd Apatow wrote the screenplay, screenplay rather, for in 1996. Uh, can you name, name the other movie that he wrote a screenplay for in 96? No. Uh, <laughs> probably, some, I, I, probably some teen comedy that he did for money. The Cable Guy, starring oh, Jim Carrey and Matthew Roderick. All right, yeah, wow. there you go. Yeah, I've got some other little trivia notes here. During the first half of the final game, a floor shot of the action shows the score being Visitor 90, Celtics 91 from a scoreboard located in the corner. A few scenes later and it's halftime and the scene shows the main scoreboard above the floor showing Visitor 38, Celtics 52. The only the only other note that I noticed looking it up was that the director of this film was only got this film because he got fired from Ace Ventura Pet Detective 2 <laughs> because yeah. Jim Carrey wanted him off the film. So there you go. Yep. Jim Carrey throwing his weight around. Wow. Yeah. He also <laughs> his he big also, star. And and one more thing. For the uh, Spike Jones was in the run to direct Ace Ventura 2. Spike Jones who did Being John Malkovich, her um heaps of awesome films. Yeah. And he uh Jim yeah. Carrey said, No, don't want you. So Amazing. There you go. <laughs> He's a big name. I've only got one other note, and that is that Daniel Stern and Dan Aykroyd appeared in different Macaulay Culkin films. Aykroyd in My Girl and Stern in Home Alone 1 and 2, obviously. Hmm. There you go. Audience sure. perception. Celtics Pride has a 9% score on Rotten Tomatoes. You can say that it's criminally wow. underrated. I wouldn't say that, but nah, you could say nine's that. Nine's about right, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Matthews of the Los Angeles Times wrote at the release of this movie, this is a bad time for NBA fans in Boston, just as their beloved Celtics are about to wrap up a dismal season with nearly 50 losses and no berth in the playoffs. Hollywood comes out with a comedy about the Celtics that's even worse than the team itself. Oof, that's, that's rough, but mm-hmm. kind of accurate, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's about, a thir- about as good as a 30-win team, this film. Yeah. For me, generous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for this one. Hopefully, there's one massive fan of Celtic Pride out there who's sitting there right now like, yes, finally, like just happy that this movie finally got the attention they they feel it's always deserved. Jackson and Joe, thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, This is forever etched in digital history now. How do you feel? I loved it. I can't wait. I hope there's a sequel so we can do it all again. (laughs) I I sort of feel like the only other... If there's someone out there who can give a full-throated defense of this movie, I'd be I'd oh, be yeah. happy to happy to hear your case. Round two, <laughs> probably someone from Boston. <laughs> yeah, someone from probably Judd Apatow. <laughs> yeah, come on, Judd. Yeah, yeah Judd, have stick have up yourself. Get him on the pod. Yeah. Don't be a coward, Judd. <laughs> All right, we'll be back again in the near future. We're working on a series of a few trivia shows, but until then, stay safe. And go Celtics. Peace. I love the Celtics! <laughs> <laughs>